Hi, my name is Jen. I'm a holistic nurse practitioner, and I'm here to tell you that your body can heal. I've healed eight different chronic and autoimmune conditions that had me bedridden sick with little hope for my future in my 20s. I've created this podcast to inspire you and give you the tools to heal your body, your mind, your heart, your spirit, and your life. This podcast is for patients, practitioners, and people who want to listen from the place where spirit and science meet. As we heal our body, we have a body that moves well, thinks well, loves well, and that is a body we want to be in for this life to carry out our soul's work. I'm so glad you're here tuning in with us. Now let's get to this week's episode. But if you ever see a little girl playing, she loves glitter. She loves twirling. She loves being seen. She loves shining. She loves telling stories, right? Like that little girl is still there underneath all of the stuff asking to be seen, asking to be expressed once again in her delight, in her joy for no reason. And I feel like that was the part of me that woke up that morning and said, this isn't your life. And so began the unconscious at the time exit plan. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Inspire Health by Jen podcast. Today, I have my friend and teacher Manjeet with us. She's a love, sex, and relationships coach, and she is inviting women to break the chains of oppression and cultural shame and return to their true nature. And through Manjeet's healing of her own sexual trauma and integrating layers of deep ancestral and feminine wounding, she's leading the way for us women to reclaim our sexual, sensual, and spiritual sovereignty. With a scientific background and a lifetime of spiritual practices, Manjeet consciously guides women beyond the good girl narrative and into embodying our radiance. She is deeply aligned with the tantric philosophy and is the embodiment of love, says clients, and they often refer to her as the permission slip to just be a little too much. And here are some really fascinating things about Manjeet's story that I want you to know before we dive in with her. In her traditional Indian family living in the UK, she was the first to receive an education, leave her husband, She was the first to travel the world, the first to start a business, the first to feel her feelings, the first to prioritize pleasure, and the first to choose a man who sees her as a goddess. But Manji, she's not been the first in her family and her culture to have an arranged marriage, to experience sexual and emotional abuse, and to feel shut off from her divine feminine. No matter our culture, women are encountering the same experiences across the human race. And today I have my friend and very, very special woman, Manjeet, here to begin a healing work in all women today. So Manjeet, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And ladies, we're going to go right in with her. She is here with a message that will serve and inspire everyone. And the truth is we likely all experience an instance of self-denial when it comes to our sexuality. So Manjeet, can you tell us about yourself? Your story is fascinating. And so from where you were born to where you find yourself today. I just want to like, I feel like I want to howl <laughs> like we just like, and like beat my chest. And I, 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 it's like, yeah. <laughs> so my story, oh my goodness. Um, so I grew up in the UK, like you said, um, born and bred in Yorkshire. 
my parents were immigrants and I was the firstborn, as you've just said. And so um, my early childhood was very, um, like I grew up with lots of like Eastern philosophies and I would say like, I felt really rich as a child growing up. Like I had many, many aunties, many, many uncles, grandparents. So very, very much a community um, upbringing um, because my parents were immigrants. So they had to rely on their friendships and the other people who had immigrated. So you became this very close knit sort of community. So raised with like many gave me a really rich life and a really wide perspective. So if my mom couldn't quite meet my needs in particular areas, I could go to one of my aunties to get those needs met. Mm. And if I couldn't quite get, I suppose the affection I needed to get from my dad, like there was always uncles inside of the community that were perhaps a bit more loving or cared about your education. So mm. that felt really rich. And I've come to really appreciate that as I've become older. And that ease of sort of finding community everywhere I go. Um, and as I got older, it became really apparent that there's all of this indoctrination that starts to happen from that young age, right? So there's this richness of this beautiful community and many, many ways of receiving love and getting accepted and being cheered or but then there's also this unspoken thread that gets planted in all of us. And that's the unspoken version of what we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to grow up. Like I was told a lot about what I was good at, but I feel like that's just as much as a, a problem as somebody being yelled at and abused and saying, you're not good at this. Yeah. So both of those things start to create like this version of us that begins to, I don't know, become a bit like pretzely. You become to mold yourself into something. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're like this adult. And for me, it was like, I'm going to become a teacher. I feel like that was really um, celebrated inside of like my community. They were always like, oh, here she comes again. She's such a little teacher. Cause I was good with all the younger kids in the community you're a teacher so right. Was, yeah right but I look at it now and I think was I supposed to be a teacher or was it all of those messaging like was it all that messaging that I received of this is what you're good at you're good at you know being with children you're good at telling stories you're good at or did they just want like a babysitter who was just like older and I just love that but either way it doesn't matter but I feel like those stories at some point become a disability like they become like you know a crutch in our life where we're like who would I be if I wasn't given any of these stories and actually was encouraged to think for myself or encouraged to not be defined by that right or not pushed into this sort of education who would I have become mm -hmm. so even inside of this community there was like lots of messaging about who is an acceptable woman and who isn't like we always know those girls that nobody is like fond of right like they're the yeah. ones that are dangerous you don't go and talk to them you don't want to end up like them so there's this fear like that sort of strings through so you, everybody sort of you know danced the same beat of the drum you all stay in line yeah you do the respectable thing 
he married a respectable guy and then this whole area of like your body and your like aliveness and your sexuality is sort of just like just under the carpet like nobody talked to me I don't know about you but nobody talked to me about sex and I write that in my chapter like (laughs) all of a sudden I was getting married and my mum packs this like red nighty like it's this like sheer red nighty with a gown and I'm looking at this thinking I don't know the first thing about my body or sex and actually I've been raised to really disregard that part of my life and my body and you know female bodies in Indian culture like this just this like dichotomy of like what in one aspect you'll watch like Bollywood and they're beautiful like dressed in these stunning saris showing their midriff and this sensual being and then on the other hand if a man looks at you then all of a sudden it was you that was projecting onto him to be allured or seduced so now you're this evil person so you have this like very mixed messaging yeah and then let's add in like the medical system what we're being told about our bodies and now let's add like you know sex education at school so you've now got this cultural training you've now got religious sort of training that comes in spoken Mm -hmm. or unspoken whether your parents go to church or not it filters through yeah and now you've got your teachers telling you different things your older cousins tell you different things and you have this like conglomeration of like all of these ideas not just about who you're supposed to be but also about the way you're supposed to express yourself as a woman Mm -hmm. so it's highly confusing like I look at women and I think far out with all of that messaging isn't it amazing that we're still here and able to sort of do what we do and become who we become like extraordinary right like how do you sift through all of this murky water and you I mean I know people are listening and like okay she is like the enlightened one and yes she is she's here to help us <laughs> but like going back in time I know more of your story because we've worked together in the past and can you tell us about like the self-denial and the abuse and like when did it start in your life and how did it begin yeah so I feel like self-denial and abuse happens in small stages I don't think it's like this is when the abuse happened and this is when it doesn't I would say for like most women I feel like we're groomed to some extent using all the messaging we've been given to be abused Mm. in ways like in so many ways for me I honestly think there wasn't like a black and white answer with that I think it was like slowly being molded into what I should be leads to abuse Mm. because I was so happy to please other people Mm. I'd watched my mom do it I watched my aunties do it they were so friendly so giving and we've got all of these ideas about what it is to be this woman who's open giving puts everybody else before herself right and then it leads to playing out these roles but if you're so giving it also opens up the door to people for people to abuse you to keep taking from you you don't have a boundary in place you don't know how to say no because so we could call it abuse but I think it's very systemic I also think it's very cultural Mm -hmm. and so 
all of these ideas about ourselves, if we're never going to question them, would leave us open to abuse. And I would say, and I've written about like a glimpse of this in my book, but the first time I was asked to take my clothes off was actually by a cousin who had come to stay and she was 16 years old. And as I was writing this for the book, it was like the first time I actually remembered it. My body had a memory, but I personally had forgotten what had happened until I started writing. And then I was like, whoa, as an adult, this was not okay. Like what had an eight-year-old girl or nine-year-old girl take off her clothes and touch an older cousin in the places she wanted? What has an eight-year-old just locked the door because she's being told? Well, that happens inside of a culture where you're told to respect your elders and do as you're told. Mm -hmm. If I, you know, if we're told to listen to our bodies, even from a really young age, or to understand that we can say no and celebrate it when we say no, like we live in a culture that doesn't really celebrate when we say no, it's, it's very weird. <clears throat> and I'm sure you you've practiced saying no to things that don't feel right and it's always this like crunchy we're sort of walking this road of like is it okay to say no how can I say no gently how can I say no respectfully so as older women we're still learning that so of course the inability to say no the inability to actually have your own awareness in your own body of what feels right, what doesn't feel right, leads to abuse. And so for me, I feel like it started at a really young age. And now fast forward, here I am with the red nighty in this arranged marriage, saying yes again to a man who wasn't right for me because my no, I couldn't actually say no. And my no wasn't respected either. So when I did say no, it was just sort of, ha, 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 ha. She's yeah. just shy. What does she know? come along now, everybody's done it. So it's just like that sort of cohering, like towards like everybody needs to go the same way. This is how it's been done. So then you have many, many voices also shut down your no when there is a no. That was what was true for me at least, right? <laughs> so Rich, can you tell us about the arranged marriage and the way that you think is fruitful for us to hear? Like what that was like, and you talk about in your in your chapter book, like that wedding night and the red nighty. It's just like, wow. I mean, I think it's um, it's a metaphor for. I mean, it was a very lived experience and a traumatic experience for you, which I love to hear. And it's also like what you said. We're all in some sort of an arranged marriage to something by our cultural cultural implications and impressions. And so, what feels good to share on that? Hmm. So the arranged marriage is so interesting because here I am and I just want to paint this picture. I'd graduated from university with um, a bachelor's in science. And so had this chemistry degree, I've gone through university and here I am in this other world in an arranged marriage, doesn't know, didn't know my body, didn't know the first thing about arousal or what it was to be a woman, like I had no clue. And it's walking in between these worlds. It's like somewhere in life I had learned that I was many, many women, like I was many faces. So I was this face with my family and I could become this role 
of being the oldest child, being a wife, saying yes, very submissive. And then you've got this version of me that ended up becoming a high school teacher, got a leadership position. So very assertive, very confident, very educated, smart woman. That was me. It was like both of those versions were me. And so I was shifting and changing through the parts and roles that I played. And I feel like just this version of being so submissive and needing to be a good girl inside of my community was the version of me that said yes to the marriage. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the confident, educated part of me was just always so shocked at the abuse and the way I was treated. So there's this fight inside of myself of versions of me that didn't actually agree. And then there was versions of me that knew no better. Mm-hmm. And the arranged marriage sort of happened because I was still trying to like stay true to my family and make my mom and dad happy. And so I think most people could relate to that. We all, you know, have said yes to something because it brought somebody else delight, even though it wasn't true for us. Yeah. And you, you experienced abuse even within your own marriage. Yeah. So when I got there, it was fascinating, like my in-laws. So an Indian bride often lives with the in-laws because it's seen as this beautiful thing, like everybody works together and lives together and shares their wealth together. Um, And I suppose in the olden days, back in the villages, the in-laws became like these wise space and a stand for your marriage to work out. Mm -hmm. But in the UK, what had happened, I think, is a lot of the mother-in-laws and father-in-laws became almost like domineering and controlling over their daughter-in-laws just as a way of like power play. So all of a sudden I enter into this household. I'm 23 years old. I'm newly married. They have their own way of living, relating, doing things. And miraculously, not only am I supposed to become a sex god for their daughter, but also like the beautiful shy daughter-in-law for their family and fit into how they do things, how they don't do things. It's a lot to be expected for us to just like shift from being raised in a particular way. And now all of a sudden you've got to figure out how this family works and nobody's gonna, nobody was helping me or assisting me into settling in. They were actually just wanting me to really fail so they could then call my parents and say, you've raised that kind of woman. You know, she doesn't listen, she doesn't, participate in in things she's got a loud mouth I think that was said many many times and that was just because I questioned things it was like how would you like me to do things around your home you know like my mother-in-law was very protective over the kitchen she was very protective over her house she was very protective over her son and I couldn't do anything to please this woman and no matter what I tried to do was like what if we work together But yet there was this expectation, you should cook, you should clean, you should take care of my son. But yet, like I was just set up for failure from the very get go, I was set up for failure. And I'm not the only one. Like I had seen hundreds of women over the years show up at my mom's door, shed their tears because their in-laws were treating them so badly. And my mom would wipe their tears and have these cups of teas. So again, when I was at the beginning talking about these indoctrinations, I've watched that happen. So that story had become normalized 
that you get married and yeah pretty much expect some sort of abuse whether it's emotional or physical you're going to expect some sort of abuse so now you're desensitized to even that like that's like the norm but if you're blessed with a family that actually respects you and invite and celebrates you then you've won the lotto right but don't expect that so Mm. myself and my sister-in-law that followed and my own sister like wow every cousin I've met like this is rife it wasn't like it was one story and then women you know like my age group at that time would get together and share stories about their mother-in-law and how bad she was and then they'd laugh about it as a way of dissipating I suppose some of that trauma but for me I was just like this is insane yeah this is insane and the most insane I'll share this but I don't know if anybody can relate to this but it's like how do you get to this place of being a woman who is now shaking inside of her skin like I would sleep with a knife under my my pillow wow I was like I don't trust these people and I'm sharing with my parents how bad this is and they're sort of in disbelief and they're sort of like oh things will work out it's okay things will work out and this is what we say like in many cases and we don't always let somebody have their experience my experience wasn't that it was going to be okay my experience was I'm sleeping with a knife under my pillow because these guys are so erratic and unstable I don't trust them yeah so you know even when we say to people it'll be all right just hang in there it's just differences of opinion in my case it wasn't that and I soon learned that nobody was coming to save me Mm -hmm. nobody was going to tell me that this wasn't okay nobody in my school like so I was teaching at school none of my white colleagues would understand why I was even there so there's this whole like whirlwind of stuff happening in my world at the time of how the hell did I get here yeah how did I get here and it was all of those times that I just nodded and said yes and didn't honor my no and as women like I think a lot of that judgment or shame like why don't they love me why do they want to hit me why do they want to abuse my body like what did I do like you're 20 I was 23 I didn't know what I did and so all of that like ends up internalizing and instead of like processing the anger in a healthy way I think a lot of women we internalize our emotions Mm-hmm. and internalize what's happened to us and we start to make enemies with our bodies with ourselves mm-hmm. shaming ourselves before anybody else does so began this self-abuse as well as this other abuse mm. your story is so rich and I'm just every time I hear it and hear you teach I'm like I I can't even imagine this woman because of the the magnitude of the frequency that you embody today. And in your story, you talk about, you know, there were years that you hid from the pain and there then were the years that you began to heal. Can you tell us a little bit more about where you were hiding and then how you began to heal? Yeah, well, the hiding, <laughs> probably like 
started way earlier, like just hiding how I felt, hiding who I was, right? Like we become these personas. And I also think it's a massive way to survive. You know, often as children, we learn very quickly what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. So I think we start hiding our authentic self pretty quickly. And so I think, again, hiding becomes a habitual practice. And once we've practiced it enough, you begin to lie and hide from yourself as well. Yeah. Right? Like you really take on the roles you've been given, the personality you've been told is amazing. And so the hiding... But definitely, I would say it was really clear when I was living inside of my in-laws house, I was hiding how abused I was, how alone I was, how scared I was, how anxious I was. And instead of sort of, I couldn't do anything about it. So I started to just ignore it, Mm. avoid it, Mm. which is brilliant actually like I know like there's a way of saying this is wrong but actually it's brilliant in that circumstance I had no way of surviving unless I shut off my emotional experience it was too much yeah for like a human body inside of this world to experience the level you know of abuse that was happening so you have to carry on so sometimes we do put on our masks and sometimes we do numb ourselves and sometimes we do hide behind a smile or whatever but it's a survival tactic that will get you you know through whatever you're going through and I knew that even at that time I was like 24 25 I knew I was like okay you are so numb you feel nothing And someday you're going to have to look at it, but today is not the day. Yeah. Today we put one one foot in front of the other. You go to school, you start putting some money aside. Like you just have a strategic plan and you just start doing what you need to do, but you'll feel it later. And so years later, when I felt safe enough, is when I started to actually confront some of this internalized shaming blaming hurt but also like the confusion of what happened and putting pieces together yeah and moving through the layers of I don't want to even say forgiveness because it wasn't forgiveness for me it was more like learning to love myself Mm -hmm. and through sort of loving myself and not blaming myself anymore the forgiveness sort of was a secondary sort of bonus like a it just happened automatically but that journey to healing was was pretty epic and it was pretty huge and it still goes on right like it's not like we're never done we heal it all in one like stint which is sometimes what you think when you sign up for a self-development course you're like oh I'm gonna be free once I've done this or I'm now gonna read a book and I'm gonna be free and it's like no the freedom is the dedication to your path of love or your path of self-discovery or the path of truth, whatever calls to you, right? Like for some women, it's like, I want to be true to myself. For some women, it's like, I want to know myself um, to be loving. For some women, it's like, I want to express myself through art. I think there's some some sort of calling that's bigger than the stories we were given, even bigger than the trauma and the abuse starts to sort of slowly coax us out of that. Yeah. And then we meet the right teachers, right? And then we meet the right books and 
Well, I am here with Kathy and Jamie, the owners of Free Girl Skincare. And you might've heard me say on the podcast before that it's true. I totally used to not wash my face because all of the products I was using would make my skin be irritated or worse. And then I met Kathy and Jamie and they started telling me about their skincare line and it completely changed the way that I do self and skincare. Okay, so I'm Jamie founder and CEO of Free Girl Skincare. And the birth of Free Girl Skincare happened through my mission of trying to heal myself um, with Western medicine doctors and really ended up being a dead end path. So I started working with um, a functional medicine doctor. She um, just really helped me understand that I needed to get toxins out of my life. And that's really when my eyes were opened up to all of the toxins that were in skincare, personal care products. I just fell in love with plant-based ingredients. I hired chemist formulators and started going down the path of formulating myself and just learning everything I could about it. As I was trying to seek out clean skincare. Organic certification was such a big thing at that point, non-GMO, all of those things. So when I went down those paths to really seek those out, I came across Made Safe. I want the best of the best ingredients. I want clean, only wild-crafted organic ingredients. Now, what is the certification that we want behind this? And so that's when I came across Made Safe and really figured out that they're the only uh, organization out there that is certifying products to be non-toxic for human health. So from acne to fine lines, this line really does cover it all. Remember when we met, I like wasn't really washing my face because I was just like you both sick of like the clean beauty claims or products that were clean that weren't effective or products that were effective that weren't clean. And I just felt like I could never get that middle middle of the road or, or both best of both worlds. And I met you both at the networking event and you offered to share your product with me. And I was like, the first thing I noticed was the beautiful design and the bottles. I was like, well, this is gonna look cute. And within three nights of using it, now I wash my face twice a day. You both would be so proud. <laughs> but I just started at night. I was like, oh, let's see what this does. And I noticed a difference. And as I said about the, the serum, the ambitious gel mask and I, the night before I traveled, I got a new order in the mail. I did the anti-acne serum and then I put the gel mask on and I went to bed and I woke up and on very little sleep, my skin didn't take a hit, arrived to my destination and the other women I was meeting with were like, you don't even look like you just traveled. Like your skin, you look awake. And Free Girl has really changed the way that I feel comfortable doing skincare. I have a brand and a line I can recommend to clients. Yeah, and as a functional medicine provider, like what good is it to take care of your skin and use skincare if you're dumping toxins into your body through your skin, our largest organ. And with Free Girl Skincare, I don't have to worry about that at all. I'm like, I could lather my whole body, I could lay in the bathtub of this product and not be concerned. Check out the link to Free Girl Skincare in the show notes and use code LOVEGEN15, that's LOVEGEN15 for a discount. How did you leave the marriage? Uh, so crazy. I woke up one morning and it was a Saturday morning and it was always cold in this little house. So my husband and I had moved out and we were living on our own, but I had sort of become a bit of a shell. I 
didn't feel much. I was working, I was doing all the things, but I felt nothing. I was numb, I was depressed. And that was even a shock to me. I kept going back to the doctor with all of these pains and things that were showing up in my body. And I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue. And I was like, what? I don't have chronic fatigue. I have all this energy, AKA adrenaline. Like <laughs> I was just running on adrenaline. My nervous system was a wreck, but I didn't know it. I thought I was great. And because I'd faked my smile so much, she's like, no, you're like depressed. Like you need some antidepressants. You need some like beta blockers for this anxiety. And I was like refusing to believe that that was me. I was in so much denial. Like talk about hiding from yourself. Mm. I'd created this amazing persona of being this confident teacher, happy-go-lucky woman, friendly, like I love to dance and all you saw was this version. And later on when I started doing my trauma work or trauma healing, I learned that I was in a fawn response and fawning out of like the fight, flight, freeze is like the most trickiest to identify mm -hmm. because what happens is at some point you freeze. So you're frozen. So you can't run, you can't fight. But on top of the freeze, like you create a layer of this personality that you think is you, you start out relating to the world as you, but the part that's frozen remains frozen. And hence, like all of these things started showing up in my body the fibromyalgia like all these different things that were showing me I was so out of alignment but I wasn't really listening so I'm on antidepressants I'm living in uh, Leeds with my husband and I wake up one morning and my heart was just like pounding and I remember the condensation on the windows I remember like the mist that was coming out of my mouth because it was so cold and I turned to face my husband at the time, and I didn't recognize him. It sounds completely nuts, but I was just like, who is this man? Mm. Like, why am I here? This isn't my life. Mm. I'm not supposed to be in this cold ass house in Leeds and sleeping next to this guy. Like, it was just this sheer wake up call. And I don't know where this wake up came from. It wasn't my voice, but there was just this absolute undeniable knowing that this was not my life. I wasn't supposed to be here. I didn't make this choice. It was like something inside of me had cracked through that fawning persona. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just for a second had shown up and then I was terrified. <laughs> like Terrified, like, what? Did you ever what think am I gonna do? I'm miserable before that moment or not so much? I think I numbed myself to I'm miserable. Like I knew it, but I didn't know it consciously. Like I wasn't willing to be aware of it. I wasn't willing to, to go there because if I had have gone to the truth of that, like I'm miserable, I think I would have just gone into this pile of like so much grief. There's just so much emotion there that I probably couldn't have processed. Yeah. So that wake up call was like, probably I did know right like part, so there's so much of us right like we're so complex as human beings so there's this part of me that's numb and has this persona there's a part of me who's this party girl who's happy go lucky there's this one that's like so in love with her husband there's one that's a great daughter so I'm split into all of these almost like it sounds schizophrenic but I think we do it really well and hopefully people will understand like we play these roles really really well 
But then there's also this part of me that has this like desire. It might've been buried deep, deep down. But if you ever see a little girl playing, she loves glitter. She loves twirling. She loves being seen. She loves shining. She loves telling stories, right? Like that little girl is still there underneath all of the stuff. Asking to be seen, asking to be expressed once again in her delight, in her joy for no reason. And I feel like that was the part of me that woke up that morning and said, this isn't your life. And so began the unconscious at the time exit plan. Mm. I started to meet people. It was like the world had just started to show me glimpses of what was possible. Like I walked past um, a travel agent and I saw this big poster of like going to Australia. And so seeds were sort of being dropped. And then I went to, to, to work at school and we had like a student teacher who'd just been traveling in Australia. And all of these signs just sort of started coming through. And I just started to follow those steps, shaking, but I was following those steps. Yeah. And from that moment of having that awakening of this isn't my life to like leaving, there was like two and a half years of really sitting with myself and journaling and attuning to to what I was actually like thinking and feeling what I wanted so it's yeah. this whole like sort of process of what's true for me yeah and I didn't really know I was kind of on this path of discovery and I watched the secret so that like blew my yeah. mind of like there's this thing called a subconscious mind and it's and it's like you know your child and you can train it to think things and you are what you think and it was just like mind-blowing at the time and so I started to work with mentors and coaches who were asking me really great questions so in that two and a half year journey from that moment of waking up to leaving there was a real process of I would say letting go Mm. letting go of a lot of the stories I was believing about myself letting go to a lot of what I was seeing like I started to question all of the things I actually saw and started to realize like my body wasn't good it wasn't right it was breaking down I was depressed yeah and so like you said like when you start to accept that there was also then this action that started to take place from that like I had to do something and so I booked my flights I remember like befriending my husband at the time because I thought there's no way I'm going to get out of here unless he sort of gives me his blessing Mm. and so I was starting to plant seeds in his world of like how about I go on a little holiday like it's clear that I'm depressed he could see that I wasn't right yeah and I guess like in his hearts of hearts he did want a wife that was alive right and Mm -hmm. happy and so he went along with that with me and for three months I was given permission from him to like go off and heal and see the world and the plan was he would meet me after three months but Jen of course I get on this plane and I taste freedom for the first time I'm I'm like this little like am I allowed to use the word slut I don't know if I'm allowed to use it okay so (laughs) I love the word slut by the way like I found my like inner slut And when I say slut, there was like this 
hungry, insatiable, like I had desires that were so like ready to pop. Like I wanted to eat things. I wanted to try things. I wanted to smell things. And, and just like getting on that plane and shifting perspective, like gave me a sense of like being alive. And I started to feel things in my body. And initially it was like all the good stuff. Like I felt amazing. I was on this all time high. I discovered that I really did love men. I wasn't shut down. I didn't need a red nighty to feel like a sex goddess. I just needed to feel alive in my body Mm -hmm. and being given the option of choice. So I was a little bit late, you know, a little bit late. Like I was like 28 at this point. And that was when I first started dating and looking and I became like boy crazy. It was like, I want to get into this, but I, I'm like, I feel the cliffhanger in all of our minds. We're like, so did your husband call and you just didn't pick up or how did you solve that? So initially I was like doing both. I was stepping in both worlds. Like there's this aliveness that I'm like, I can't deny this. And then it was just like, but what are you going to do without your family? Like, what are you going to do? Because my mom was clear. If you get on that plane, there's the door. Mm. And I was like, okay, they don't really mean it. Like, they don't mean it. They love me, right? (laughs) Denial, right? Total denial. They did mean it, Jen. It's 15 years on. They meant it, right? Like, they meant there was a door. But as I've, um, just going on a side note, as I've matured and sat with this for so long and spent time working through it, it was only like last month on Mother's Day, I was like, oh my God, she showed me the door. Mm. up until sort of like a month ago I was like a victim of that story I was like oh no they like showed me the door they no longer loved me I was no longer part of that family it was crushing like crushing debilitating like I don't know how else to put it it was it was really hard and it's still really hard right like the betrayal of there's no dad anymore. There's no community anymore. There's no sister. There's no brother. There's no mom. There's just, just it's just gone. And they're not going to speak to you. Yeah. Like was a shock. And then there was a shock. And then there was a shock. And there was just like layers of like shock, betrayal, guilt, just all of the conglomeration of everything. Um, but yeah, like it was only a month ago when I was like, oh no, she showed me the door and I just walked out. I was in a cage she showed me the door and it's taken 15 years but now there's a sense of like real gratitude of saying there you go they in a way set me free imagine if they kept loving me I would have gone straight home Mm. back into the cage there's no breaking that cage like it's it's so solid right like it's it's solid if you're gonna leave this husband we'll just find you a new one yeah and so like you just told or didn't tell anyone anything you just didn't call and didn't go back home and did your husband try to do anything yeah he did come out to see me and I did call a lot initially like I was like this I guess I was groveling for forgiveness for a long time it kind of pains me to say this now because I just see this desperate young woman trying to hold on to like and salvage any self-respect she had left in the eyes of her family but at the same time like I just know that I'm not that person and when you taste freedom something happens like your body 
the embodiment of who you become isn't that good girl. Yeah. You can try and be the good girl, but you're not, right? Like you're not her anymore. You've outgrown that. You've embodied and tasted something different. Mm. You've tasted life. You've tasted desire. You've tasted your own um, capacity to bring joy into your own body. You've tasted mm. the world in a way, like your senses and your eyes open. That's why I think traveling is just like such medicine. Like it opens you up to things you would yes. never, ever have considered. Yes. So my ex-husband did come out, but that three months was so transformational for me that when he arrived, I found my no. Like he would mm-hmm. say things to me to try and sort of shut me down because that like gaslighting, manipulating, that had been like our dynamic. Mm-hmm. But I could see it. Like I wasn't wearing my rose tinted glasses and there was nothing to be afraid of anymore. Like Mm. My worst case scenario was I'm going to lose my family. I have to make him happy because I love them. They already decided they weren't going to speak to me. So here I am now. I'm like, I've got nothing to lose now. Yeah, literally. I've got nothing to lose. So if I say no to you, I'm going to, I'm going to just say no. So he came out, we traveled a little bit. And there was a night, this is probably a little intimate, but anyway, bear with me, listener. He decided to climb into my bed and my whole body seized up. And I just knew I was like, he is going to have sex with me. Mm. And he's going to have sex with you because he's still your husband and he thinks he can. Mm. And you are in a foreign country and you are traveling. We're in the middle, somewhere between Alice Springs and and Darwin on this camping trip. And you're just going to have to lay here. And I swear to God, it was like my soul just like crumbled. And in the morning, I remember getting up and saying like, you will never touch me again. Mm. And that was, so that was, I suppose, like the lowest I had sort of gotten to, but also realizing how vulnerable I had left myself, like traveling with him and trying to work this thing out. And becoming so open and becoming so happy. Like that was my experience of someone going, well, I'm just going to take it. Yeah. I'm going to take it and you belong to me. I'm going to own you. Like there was all of that in there. Mm-hmm. And I suppose, you know how you make, sometimes make those decisions where I was like, I will never be owned and controlled by a man or anything or anyone else again. Mm-hmm. And if that means losing my family, so be it. Mm-hmm. Like so be it. I will not be ever subjected to somebody taking from me like that ever again so it was like things were bad enough like the abuse was bad enough all the the the, you know all the years before that were bad enough but that seemed to be the one where um you know how we get to a line and we're like that's it like yeah there is no going back like that was too much like you took you're trying to take my soul from me here and um I'm not going to give it to you and you didn't go back and in your book you talk about a hundred person list that you kept yes I just found that like amazing can you tell us about the hundred person list yeah so going through the divorce was really tough um I was in a foreign country I didn't really have any friends I didn't have any support systems in place and you know when you're somewhere new you're trying to make friends people don't want to know you when you're at your worst and you're like going through this horrific transformation I'll call it transformation because that's what it was right life life was showing me anybody you thought was true and real and loved you doesn't 
and you don't have enough um, like structure in these new friendships built for you to lean on them. So there's like, you're in that in-between place. These new friendships are coming in, but they're not solid enough for you to rely on mm-hmm. to be able to be the mess that I actually was. And the old systems of support that I had no longer supported me. So my friend, my friend, Jen, who's also going through a divorce at the time said to me, I would love to support you, but I'm broken too. And we were both <laughs> sort of escaping to the, to the tropics, so far north Queensland. And we lived in this place. It was an amazing escape because you really were filled um, through your senses with the rainforest, the, oh, the Great Barrier Reef. So you had enough to sort of keep everything happy, but the both of us, we'd make like <laughs> sock monkeys and do like all this craft stuff to try and heal ourselves. But she was like, I'm broken, I can't help you. But she recommended, she goes, well, who would support you though? Like who in the world is resourced enough to support you? Who would cheer you on? And I started to tell her, I was like, well, if I told Oprah Winfrey my story, she would cheer me on. She would have empathy. She would have compassion. She would be strong for me right now because she'd be like, no, Mm -hmm. you keep taking one step in front of another. And then when I went home that night, I made a list. I was like, if I could think of how many people do I need to feel strong? Like how many people would I need cheering me on to feel strong because here's the thing, I'm not just like saying no to my family or my husband, I'm saying no to a system mm. of oppression. I'm saying no to no longer stepping in line. I'm saying no to not being that good girl. I'm saying no to like not doing things the way I've been told to do them. I'm saying no to a, an entire system of oppression. So I needed some help. So I thought a hundred if a hundred people heard my story and cheered me on and told me I was going to be okay, I could do it. And so I wrote a list of one to a hundred. And as I started writing, initially there was like names that just kept popping. Like Mother Teresa would just like, show me unconditional love right now. Mm-hmm. Princess Diana would totally understand me. She understands me so well. Um, Louise Hay. she would give me affirmations right like so I started to create all of these beings um and yes there was men on there but like I can't think of them now but maybe Michael Jackson would just like do like a dance for me so there's all of these like energies that I started to just receive from and then as I started to write I felt like there were gaps in there and so I just left numbers and there was just a blank space of the people who were going to come because I haven't met them yet I hadn't met all my cheerleaders and so every so often when I meet people like you I think see I knew put me on the list (laughs) see I knew I knew that there'd be more people who would see me later on and it was a timing thing so my hundred list became this crumpled up messy like (laughs) full of tears because I carried it everywhere but it lived really close in my pocket in my purse I never really went anywhere without it for about seven years. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. And every time I'd like doubt myself or be like, what are you doing? Like your mother is crying. They're still angry. Like you have no family. Like your sister just had a baby. Like there was all of this real like tugging at my emotional heart. Every Mother's Day, every birthday, every Christmas, like it would be so lonely. And I would just sit with my hundred list, put it over my heart and just meditate and go, 
just hear their cheers, like hear their love for you and know that you're okay. And in that time, like eventually I didn't need a list of a hundred people. Like I had embodied enough mm-hmm. self-cheering that I was my own best friend. I became my own cheerleader. I learned to love myself enough that I was going to cheer myself on. Like, no, not settling, not settling for anyone, not making peace. Mm -hmm. If it's not, if it's not going to work and not begging for forgiveness from anybody anymore, I am putting on a crown. I'm royal, just like everybody else. Like we came here so miraculously. Yeah. You know, the idea that our eggs got fertilized by one sperm, like what are the chances? Yeah. So there's just this like sense of like the miraculous starting to sort of emerge. I want to, I want to foreshadow where I want to go. I want to get into the work that you do and you did in the I Am Woman program and the healing that you teach. And I want to just Mm. take one step back and you were beginning to talk about relationships and dating after this and boys and all the women listening, we want to hear about boys. So tell us. <laughs> Do we love boys? Like, oh my God, like I, I have like a crush on like everybody, right? Like, <laughs> like they're just so love. great. Oh, so great. So great. So I became a real big fan of men and I became a real big fan of love. And it's amazing when you go on your own journey, like I thought I was like shy. I thought I was like really picky. I like all of this stuff that I thought about myself and in actual fact I pretty much just loved men and <laughs> I loved life so you know that was really really cool and so as I started to like date because I was still working out the programming like in the deepest parts of my nervous system I still had the point of view that I needed a husband to feel safe in the world I needed to get married to be you know a woman of respect so there's all these ideas unspoken like they happen when we're really really young and they live in sort of the primal parts of our brain the limbic parts of our brain right like not the logical part so they're playing out because I'm still attracting men I want to marry and so I put myself on a, a probation from going out with anybody and getting into a relationship so for about 18 months all I did was date and so during that time, it was so fun. Like, it was so fun. <laughs> also exhausting towards the end, but really, really fun. Because yeah. I learned to discover a lot about myself. Like, what I liked, what I didn't like. Where did I step into, like, so that personality, that persona I talked about. Like, when did I step into her and when was I being me? So there was this real, like, working out of my inner world plus my outer world. And on this sort of experiment, I guess. Um, and I did tell all the men I was dating, it was like, you know, the years of Tinder is so great. But I did tell them I'm not looking for a relationship. And I also was very clear. And the reason for it is I'm I'm figuring out what I like. If you're still happy to come on this date, um, we'll chat. And most guys were like, well, how can I make this experience great for you? Yeah. And so I would tell them what I love is this, 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 and this, and not very specific. Maybe I'd say I love cocktails or I love the beach or I love the outdoors and then they would curate a date for me perhaps hiking swimming under a waterfall going out snorkeling for the day perhaps like taking me to a park and creating a picnic so I got to experience receiving from men Mm -hmm. 
So assertive enough to ask for what I want, but not specific enough that I would sort of dampen their creativity. Like I was happy to be surprised and happy to be. And then during that time, I was teaching more like body work. I'd done a ton of work in, in all of that part of my healing. Like I'd done massage therapy. I'd become a Louise Hay coach. I'd done, so lots of stuff to do with the body mind. Like there's lots of little parts of the story there. But by then I was like sort of teaching hands-on healing work and body work. Mm. And so every Friday we do practice sessions for the, for the people that I was teaching and every week I'd have a different dating story. And so it became this sort of like, I'm coaching dating, but it was done from this whole other angle and women would bring their questions. And, and so it became this thing. And then eventually I was at a training one time and I get this tap on my shoulder from this German girl who said, do you offer one-on-one sessions? And at that point I hadn't. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, can you coach me? I feel like you know something about love. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, okay all right so I started to coach her and Jen I discovered that my love for men wasn't just for men my love for life wasn't it didn't have to be this thing that I had to carry but it sort of filtered through into like everything and everyone Mm -hmm. and so this is where the gratitude for that earlier upbringing comes in like being raised going to the temple I was so devotional. Mm-hmm. So that practice of devotion and bringing devotion into cooking, into like serving another person, into perhaps massaging my mom's feet after a long, tiresome mm-hmm. day or taking care of my siblings. Or there was, there was an aspect that came from a loving place, like the whole time through my life, right? Like, and even saying no came from a loving place, I realized later. So anyway, I started coaching her and before I knew it, there was other women coming and everybody was finding love. Mm. They were finding love and I wasn't giving them a lot of tools. Like I had tools. I knew how to get to like their wounding. I knew how to, cause I'd been there most of the time. We've got like the same sort of wounding going on, like collective sort of, but then individual stories as well. So got working through their wounding, but also just, I think what, the key was is just this belief of love like this knowing of love and this being of love that was always inside of me was the thing that actually created the space for that like these women started finding love but not only that they started to get their life back Mm -hmm. they came for a relationship which they would get pretty quickly but not just like any relationship like the love of their life type relationship like I wasn't, a, I'm not a stand for anything that's like the mediocre. Yes, they all do. I'm yeah. a real stand, as you can tell from the choices that I've made. I'm a stand for truth. Mm-hmm. And true love isn't easy. It's like a silent sort of whisper that comes through. Yeah. You know, so taking people to those quieter spaces where they really hear their heart, mm-hmm. that's like was my commitment. And once they've heard it, they don't need me to give them a tool they kind of got what they want right and then it's just a matter of time before that person walks into their world you know whether they go on to have children whether they went on to have thriving careers I felt like their whole world they came for love but they ended up getting themselves back Mm -hmm. like they became the woman that they wanted to become 
the woman like she's proud of imperfect but loves herself just in the best way she can and so that was like the beginning of sort of like my coaching journey um and then yeah I think you've also said there like I started and then I studied with Layla Martin like I got to a point where I was Layla Martin. starting yeah so I met so he's the crazy thing I have to also say so I'm coaching love and I'm dating but I didn't meet a man that I knew was like for me like I kept meeting lots of men who were great but they just they weren't like the godlike consciousness that I wanted like and I don't I don't think I consciously knew that but I knew that I was looking for something quite specific mm-hmm. and it had a very energetic quality to it and I know that I would know how I felt around that person mm-hmm. so I kept building up like that sensational reality in my body like how does that feel mm-hmm. And I learned it from trees. I learned it from animals. Like, so the whole universe became my school of like, how am I going to learn love? Like, what does it really feel like? Right? Like, I don't, I don't know it. I, you know, haven't really had that as an experience, but I know that I want it. So I had to train my nervous system, train my body to learn how to feel it and be okay to, mm-hmm. to feel that. Because when- I would run a mile when I met a great guy, I would run a mile because I just was, still addicted to this highs and instant gratification Mm -hmm. so that was a process but all my clients met love I didn't meet love that was like it was totally cultivated it in your nervous system first so what is like your partner today that sees you as a goddess versus the arranged man or the the arranged marriage man we should call him (laughs) yeah well I think the biggest thing is like just from my story of the night we spent when we were traveling the man I'm with today would never ever try and take anything from me or project anything on me I mean we're human of course but to the best of his ability he doesn't want anything from me he doesn't need anything from me mm-hmm. he loves me for who I am yeah and that was that took a lot of training to get there to get to the place where I it was okay to be loved exactly as I was mm-hmm. And to show like the vulnerable parts of me and those vulnerable parts are the ones that like are the most loving to actually love somebody with my whole heart and let that be safe. Like that's actually what I wanted. Yeah. I wanted to love with my whole heart and not feel like it was going to be abused, betrayed, manipulated, you know, or you, you know, sort of controlled in any way. Like I'd had my wings clipped enough to know that I didn't want that so to step into sort of opening my heart meant that I had to let go of some of those survival strategies those control tactics that I had like Mm -hmm. that was in the past would be testing men like is he for real Mm -hmm. is he actually gonna hurt me like and with this man I wanted to love wholeheartedly and so there was this trust there was this trust in my being that hadn't been there before, but there was also this fear of losing the control (laughs) that had me feel like I knew what I was doing in my life. So meeting my beautiful partner now actually took me to a deeper level of healing where I actually had to surrender everything I thought I was and let go of needing to have this identity of me because I'd had it taken away so much I 
curated like this is me this is my no this is my boundary this is and that was great was there a period of time that you didn't feel safe in sexual encounters or experiences or intimacy with men after what you've been through I feel like so I've said that I was a fauna I realized once I met John my my current partner that I'd learned to sexually fawn Mm -hmm. and so what I was doing was getting high on somebody else's desire for me yeah and being so like intuitive I could totally relate to how they felt about me yeah and I thought that was me being turned on but often it was his turn on Mm -hmm. not mine so I'd learned to override my body a lot and these were really subtle layers and I could get excited for somebody else's excitement mm-hmm. I knew how to do that really well like I did that as a child I knew how to feel my mom's sadness like I knew how to feel her happiness I knew so I'd learned to like really be externalized and so sexual encounters I mean they were fun and it was great but by the time I'd met John I was just ready for something deeper yeah and so those layers strip down and talk about in safety when you're like, you don't have your fawning response anymore. I couldn't sort of step into like what sexy was. Like, I didn't know. I was like almost like learning to walk again. I don't know if you've ever seen like an animal that's like figuring yes. out how to walk. Like that was me. Yeah, that was me. Like, so I fall in love with this guy and it's, it's different to anything I've expected. And all of a sudden I have to relearn or remember yeah like what it is to be a woman like okay there's another another invitation (laughs) I'm like I want to dive in right here because I'm so happy for you first of all and it's just every time I hear your story in a new way in another layer I'm like I know you realize the magnitude of woman that you are, but I'm just like, how is this woman sitting with me on my podcast right now? Like you like have a real life, like Caroline goddess story. And I do feel that Oprah will want you on there one day. So just name drop the podcast when you're on there to be fine with it. I want to hear about, you know, when you did the Yoni egg experience in the I am woman program. Um, and that lives in that class for people who are interested, but mm. brought you on because I, I remember meeting you in Kate Northrop's group. And I was like, I need someone who can like help women be connected to their sensuality and their pelvic floor. And so I'm just curious in your journey, how did you start your own sexual healing and how are your methods different? And like, I know they really work for women because I've seen my clients and myself experience them. It's hard for me to put words to them. So can you tell us more? <laughs> I love that you think I can put words to it. That's thanks for that. I would say my sexual healing, like it's been a journey, like we said, like it comes, like you get a little bit at a time, right? But when I met True Love and this man really saw me as a goddess, I have to share this story. I don't know why I have to share it. So one of the first things um, John ever did for me was he gave me a massage. This massage changed my life. Mm -hmm. It was the first time somebody had touched me from such utter presence. Like Mm -hmm. you could hear like the stillness in the room. Like he came towards me, like the softest, most gentlest, like held space like I never had before Mm -hmm. and it was communicating with my body in a way like 
he was asking my body to show him how I wanted to be touched, mm-hmm. what pressure I wanted, where to be touched, how long. And it was just like this incredible meditation, healing, expansion, like all of these things. I remember just drifting off into like these states of consciousness where I was like, I don't know where I am. I don't know who I am. And it doesn't matter. Like there was just this euphoric feeling of ecstasy and joy and love. And at the same time, my body, like I was crying. Mm. So that was the first time I was like, what is that? Mm. Like, and who do I need to become to receive that? Because I could tell there was still parts of me going, can't we just have sex and just get over and done with like why all this yeah. intimacy right like yeah. I'm Mom, just like <laughs> dark naked and you are taking your time with me mm. so it's interesting isn't it because as women we're like I want to feel all the things but yeah. then when you're put in the situation where you're feeling all of the things it's amazing how quickly you want to run because yeah. mm-hmm there's still that layer of unworthiness still there. There's still some layers of shame and there's still some disconnection from my body that I didn't know. So that became really clear. Mm -hmm. That's what I wanted, but I wasn't, I didn't have the capacity inside of my body and my nervous system to receive that fully. Mm -hmm. So I got to work and I signed up for Layla Martin's sacred sexuality program, which was a year long coaching certificate because I needed women. I needed women and I needed women teachers who could show me how to unlock my own sexual radiance. Like I wanted to come alive like I hadn't. And now I have this God of a man who wants that for me too. He's holding space. He's there. Like he's right with me. And so initially it was for him, but it ended up becoming about me and healing like sisterhood wounding. Yeah. Just like all of the ways the patriarchy lives inside our body. There's so much that happened, the layers of trauma, the the parts that I talked about that were split, like got to come home and be met with kindness and caring. And one of the reasons I said yes to the Layla Martin program was she offered the jade egg. And I had been gifted a jade egg two years prior from a sister at a at a retreat. And she just looked elated and happy and was talking about these orgasms. I was like, yeah, I'll have some of that, right? Like, and this is like, <laughs> I feel like dating. I was just like, yeah. So she hands me this yoni egg. I have no idea what to do with it. I lose everything. I lose my clothes. I lose my diamond earrings. But this yoni egg lived in my suitcase as I traveled and I didn't lose it. Wow. And so <laughs> two years later, I've met John. We're living like in Perth, Western Australia. And this egg, and I'm like, oh, sign up to Layla's course. And it took me until like after I'd completed the course to realize the sister that gave me the egg had just been to the Layla Martin retreat after graduating um, as a sacred sexuality coach. Yes, so, full circle. Isn't it cool? I love how the universe has that sort of butterfly effect. Like it was a seed that was planted, but took me a few years. And the yoni egg for me was like this beautiful, tangible tool. It's very pragmatic. It's made out of jade. So it's got its own properties but it's solid, right? Like it's a real thing that I can put in my hand. So someone who was like used to sort of dissociating and I could use like my imagination and my mind to tell myself how I was feeling. Like I lived a lot from the intellect and less from my body, even though I could feel sensations. Like I could tell myself, look how beautiful this is. 
And there I am, I'm feeling, I've cultivated feelings of euphoria, I've cultivated feelings of joy, but my body had its own language and I hadn't learned to quite speak it. My yoni had her own language and I definitely did not know how to speak her language. Mm -hmm. But I would, you know, if you'd have met me, you'd have been like, yeah, she's sexually confident. She's like open. But then there was just this, like, again, it was like this layer of deepening my own truth and intimacy with self. So I started doing some yoni egg practices and the wild awakening of, firstly, I felt nothing, nothing. I was reassured because I had amazing teachers. That is normal. And in you know, slowly through time, you'll start to feel. And when I started to feel, I like came across like so much pain. Mm. I then realized that was like vulvodynia and I had all this other stuff going on in my body. And so I was like, oh my God, this tool, it was just a tool, but it was the first time that I became aware of what was really happening in my body. Yeah. And I practiced and I practiced and I practiced because the other girls were having really great success with having like ejaculations and orgasms and just like their stories were so great. I so wanted that. But here I am like day after day, I feel nothing, like nothing. And I'm like, am I fucking broken here? Yeah. But here's the thing about sisterhood and um, practice in community. It's so rich because every you actually have your hundred list like really cheering for you, like real You're life there. women yeah. who are like keep going or listening to you, just holding you, witnessing you as you are sitting through the numbness, inviting you back to that truth over and over. And with a teacher like Layla, like she was like, just keep going. I've never met a woman who has not discovered her own aliveness, her turn on her sexuality, keep going. Mm. So it took about three months until I felt something. And then mm-hmm. obviously the healing of the pain, the shame, the, the other things that lived there and slow trickles of joy started coming through. Mm-hmm. And so um, I love working with this tool. Mm-hmm. I love and the lineage. I, I just love it. I love it. <laughs> It's an amazing tool and you're gearing up to teach women and have your own program with this. And I just can't, for those listening, I cannot recommend Manjit enough. I feel like no matter where this is in point in time, you might be listening to this several, you know, moments from the now and you're like, oh, she, you know, her offerings have changed and her accessibility has changed, but like you're available for women and that is a gift as long as it lasts. Like, I mean, your ability to teach and to help women feel and heal is incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. So you tell us about the the JDA class you're doing, and then you also work with individuals and couples. Yeah. yeah. So I love, I love love, as you can tell. And <laughs> I love love. Just, I love love. And just from that moment of like touching each other with such presence, I want that for couples. Like I want I want couples to know what that's like and have that container inside of their relationship. So I love working with couples on more of like that intimacy stuff um, versus like relationship coaching. It's more the tantric stuff. It's more the practices. It's more that becoming intimate beyond the words. Um, I really love that for couples and individuals are coaching. Um, It's 
been up until now relationships, but like I said, it's usually a woman who has done plenty of self-development already. She knows the voice inside of her head isn't hers. She knows that there's patterns inside of her body and that she just needs some support as she moves through that stuff. Um, and then the Jade Egg program is gonna be a six week program. And we'll go through like the fundamental practices because it is a practice and it's a gentle practice. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say it's more like a lifestyle. So once you start using a Yoni Egg, you might be like me where you don't feel anything for a while. So it takes you on its own journey. Or you could be like the other women who discover that you can ejaculate or other things, you know, or you might have been a mother and you're just connecting back to yourself as a woman, sort of repairing some of that wounding from birthing. So it's such a versatile tool and it comes from the Taoist tradition. And for any woman listening, um, this beautiful practice was created for the Empress of China to keep her youthful, to keep her vibrant, to keep her healthy. Um, and so this is a real royal practice. It isn't, it wasn't meant for the common woman, I suppose. Yeah. But we are all empresses and we are all goddesses and we deserve great health. We deserve pelvic strength and we deserve fucking magnetic yes. orgasmic realities. <laughs> and we deserve to know our bodies. And it's a really great way to really start to attune like what's really yes for me and what's really a no for me, what feels good, what doesn't. And also for me, it had me um, sink in with my cycle with such fine attunement mm -hmm. that I don't push it and get burnt out anymore. And I don't override as much. And, um, oh, and also I just have to say, I have healed from my fawning. Like there is, yes. There's just like, there's no need for that now. Like, I feel like a lot of those layers have been dissolved and it feels safe to be in the world. But that safety got cultivated inside of my own body mm -hmm. and that pleasure got cultivated inside of my own body. And so what I would say to every goddess listening is you have to become the goddess from the inside out. There's no shortcuts. There's no book. There's no affirmations. All that helps. But to become the goddess, you have to claim your own sexuality, your own pleasure. We have 7,000 nerves <clears throat> in our body dedicated to pleasure. Mm -hmm. So when I hear women say like, oh, that's just not important to me, I think, well, your body's telling a different story, sweetheart. Like yes. a woman in her pleasure, a woman twirling around in her delight on the inside out is a blessing for this world. It is healing it is creative it's to me it's the most healing thing we can do is to heal our sexuality and everything else comes because of that yeah I feel like if we could have and maybe you'll do this Munji if we could have this education like I'm almost hesitate saying I'm like in the schools. I want it in the schools. I'm like, that's far, far like veteran. I'm like in the schools, in women's health as a part of like a resource for providers and medical professionals and therapists, like women's like gender race would look a lot different. So different. And you I mean, would you like being a woman like nowadays? I don't know about you, but 
I wouldn't sign up for that like but if I knew that a woman got to like she's just like this incredibly magnetic force of nature I mean we grow babies in our bodies and before I'll call it my divine feminine spiritual awakening I was like I just kind of wanted to be more like a guy I wanted to be tough I wanted to like work out like a guy, think like a guy, be efficient like a guy. And then once I went through this own, I am woman awakening, healing my hormones, understanding my cycle and the mood and my intuition, I was like, it would suck to be a dude. I would be so totally. Oh my God. It's so cool. We get to feel everything, like the whole spectrum, right? Like it is so exquisite, but female sexuality is like messy. It is wild. It is like, it is everything. We get to have rage and we get to have total awe of beauty. We get to have all of it. And I just think society just hasn't been ready for it. But honestly, like, because we're talking, it is because we're here, we exist inside society. And we can, yeah, our, we could talk three or more hours hours on this. (laughs) Like, what we can feel, what we, the power we have. I think our society teaches us that we're actually powerless and we have to depend on someone or something outside of ourselves to heal our bodies, to provide monetarily, to be happy. But actually the whole world responds to the awe of the feminine. I'm trying to think it's Lord's essay. Do you know what it's, what I'm talking about? I'll have to link it in the show notes, but there's this really good, really great essay. Um, and it basically just says that, like, you know, we're taught that we're powerless, but actually what it's like a Seinfeld episode that one of my, like in high, like college guy friends is telling me, he's like, Jen, what do all men want? They want women. So women literally yeah. have like the power, like we do, and we can learn to harness it to be divine and to be sacred. And um, we have teachers like Manjeet leading us along the way. So Aww. thank you so much for being here. Is there any last words that you want to leave with women who are ready to be set free and feel and after they've been inspired by this conversation with you? Mm, Well, hopefully you're inspired, but also I want to say, um, let your journey be yours and go at your own pace. There's nowhere to really get to. We're seasonal, we're cyclical and, um, if you're listening to this from all of my heart and all of my being, I just see the goddess inside of you. Even if she's not like upstage and center, she is in there. Mm. Thank you. This is beautiful. I will leave all of the ways for everyone to get in touch with you in the show notes and we'll see everyone next week. you so much your reviews help this message reach around the world and as we heal our body we have a body that moves well thinks well loves well and that is a body we want to be in for this life because a body that feels well is a body that's living in alignment and that's a body that can carry out our soul's work here on earth thank you so much for joining in on this podcast it was a pleasure to be with you during this time make sure to check out the show next week every tuesday a new episode will drop 